This is JU Israel Teachers Lounge, where we reach out to current Gap Year students, alumni, and any interested listeners, keeping you connected to what's happening in Israel and giving you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, senior JU Israel educator Michael Unterberg, and today joined as always by co host and director of JU Israel, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Going good, Mike. All right. And also today we are joined by producer and Israel educator Matt Littman. How are you, Matt? Very well. Thank you, Michael. Excellent. Today, I want to talk about the fact that what used to be Israeli security used to uh, define itself by specific countries on its borders. There was the Lebanese border, the Syrian border, the Jordanian border, which has stopped being a security issue, more or less, and the Egyptian border, which is also, those are pretty quiet. But uh, today, the Israeli army has a northern border section. In other words, uh, Lebanon, Syria, what a mess. We have a northern border problem. And that has to be treated as a cluster of problems. Why is the northern border today a cluster of problems and not easily distinguishable? What 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 has complicated the northern border? Why what is Israel doing about it? And what role does a citizenry play in helping Israel stand keep secure? So well, I mean, I think it boils down to the weakening of the Syrian uh, role in the north mm-hmm. from the civil war and the entrance of Iran on one side and Russia on the other side, I mean, as much stronger players. Yeah. Um, that really comes down to that, that those... Lebanon years ago became more or less under Syrian influence. Right. Syria became under Iranian influence, and then Iran became under Russia. So if you want to draw it as neat concentric circles, yeah, except, that would be much prettier than it is, because it's... Well, yeah, except that now Russia and Iran aren't all, all really on the same, on the same page. Um, it's a it's a teetering, you know. It's a where you have Iran um, wanting to get a stronger and stronger hold and much more influence in the area. Russia on the one side wants a somewhat strong Iran as a counter to the West and all those things, but on the other side they don't want a too strong Iran that's going to um, uproot their interests in the region and world in general. Well, so, for me, the metaphor. So that's why I think Russia plays Israel against Iran. Yeah, Russia um, is using. I, I think I think you want. You know, okay, this is maybe not a nice metaphor, but to me, like, if you have an attack dog, you want it to be barky, but you don't want it biting your neighbors and getting you into big trouble. So you want it there defending your property, but you don't want to... And the dog, though, probably does want to jump across the fence and bite the mailman. Right. That's a rough analogy for... So here the dog is Iran. Russia is the owner of the thing. Iran is its dog that has an attack dog that's bark, 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 bark. But Russia doesn't want them running around biting Israel because it doesn't want to get into that direct conflict with Israel. And so it's Russia's walking a tightrope in controlling Iran, right. quote-unquote controlling Iran, however realistic that level of control is, with funding and money and weapons right. and da-da. Iran then trickles that down into Assad, into Which Hezbollah in Lebanon. Right. By the way, also By into way, Hamas in the south. And don't forget that Hezbollah is also in Syria. Hezbollah is in Syria and Lebanon. and Lebanon. So the border situation and the statehood of these of this area is no longer of real military significance in terms of security. Right. It's a mess in the north that is a much more serious threat to Israeli security than the south. Right, much more. And that's why the government... I th- continually claim, you know, kind of claim status quo in the South because much more worried about the North than the South and much more worried about the potential there. And 
preventing those um, encroachments and inroads and setting up infrastructure that Iran has been working on since really the Civil War mm-hmm. uh, in 2011, 2012. And that's why Israel is continually bombing um, Syria. sites in Syria. Syria and infrastructure, infrastructure yeah. which Hezbollah have and built Iranian. up there. It's, it, yeah. it's not Syria. It's, it's stuff that Iran puts in yeah. Syria. Yeah. Iran is entrenching into Syria, and it used to be sort of an open secret that Israelis knew, but it wasn't acknowledged today, whether it's retiring chiefs of staff or whatever it is, people, or even the prime minister, are being more explicit that, you know, we've been blowing them to holy hell. Iran is trying to entrench itself into the Syrian military geography, let alone infrastructure, but but we've been, we've been, you know, decimating that. We've been making yeah. sure that Iran can't dig in. Now that from, if you look at it from Israel, hundreds of, of hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of strikes, at least air strikes hundreds of strikes, other, massive property um, damage, massive and yeah. casualties, casualty, many casualties just yeah. this week. I mean, you know, just this week there was, uh, 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 casualties in an Israeli response. So, but it's interesting um, that the reaction from the Syrians has, a few months ago, there was uh, a couple of rockets that were that were launched yeah. towards Israel. Two made it towards Israel. But apart from that, the the response has been they deal with it, they suck well, it up. It's strategically, if I understand correctly, and I'm not a you know professional military strategist, but from what I read, uh, this strategy this is called a mabam strategy in Israeli strategic thinking. Mivza bein milchamot. It's an in between war strategy where it's very brinksmany. You 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 disrupt enough to minimize the threat against you, but you don't do so much that it erupts into all-out war. Although the name implies that at some point they're going to have enough infrastructure to start a real war. Right. And so the so then the 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 question becomes, you know, it's a classic military question: Do I continue to disrupt and deter, where the problem I can slow down the development of the problem? Or do I go in, start a full-scale war, and you know, let's let's resolve this as much as possible. Build, you know, break them down to the lowest level, so they have to start from scratch if they want, right. if they indeed do want to come back at me. Um, but that's surpri- very hard. But yeah. I'm surprised that up to now the Syrians haven't come back. Like you talk about this idea of trying to well, the strike Syrians, that balance. Syrians are in no Syrians position. Syrians are in civil war, right? But, but the Iranians, a, who, okay, the Syrian, Iranians, Syrians, Iranians, whoever it is, because the Iranians are losing. Billions or millions of dollars worth of equipment and infrastructure and all these things. So you you talk about how it's like you're prodding just to see how far you can prod without actually provoking someone into a full attack against you. No, no. The goal I'm, isn't I'm, to see how far I can go. The goal is to can I disable it. them enough that they're not ready to launch because they, they clearly that. want to launch. They're planning on launch, and can I uh, can I erode enough that their launch becomes bad strategy? So can I okay. for, forever keep them? Before they're ready to launch. Okay, so, so that's a slightly different framing of it, but I, I, I still think I'm, I'm surprised that the Iranians haven't got annoyed and said, "Okay, you know what? You've blown up our generals, you've blown up our soldiers, you've blown up our equipment that we've been bringing into Syria. We're going to launch." Well, I'm well, surprised. again, there's, there's, don't be. There's, there's two things complicating it. One of them is if they're, if they're, if they don't have enough to hold back Israel, they're going to lose. Right. So there's no point in launching when you're clearly going to lose. That's one. Two. The other thing is the the hand on the leash. Russia doesn't want an Iranian shooting war with Israel. It's already complicated enough. And Israel and Russia are pretty openly communicating 
I don't know what openly is, but there are all sorts of... No, de- no, there's definitely... I mean, openly a, means that... I mean, when, Netanyahu goes to Moscow and not, talks to Putin. No, that Israel operates freely in Russian-controlled airspace. <laughs> but with open you know? de-confliction yeah, rules that's what I'm of that's how government. do we avoid... How exactly. do we run all these... Mi- there are Russian troops all over Syria. Russia, how do we do Ru- this without Ru- killing Russians? Russia is informed before Israel does a military yep. strike yep. in Syria. And um, there, was one, there was one case this year where... Uh, a Syrian plane, a, Syri- a Syrian missile... Right, shooting at Israelis, down and instead down the Russian plane, right, and really, really angered the Russians. And the Russians uh, got mad at Israel, Israel because um, that Syrian anti-aircraft weapon was there to stop an Israeli invasion. Right. It confused a Russian plane. Israel, you were so provocative that the Syrians thought we were you, and then they shot. They well, killed they said Russia. the Israeli planes were actively seeking cover behind the Russian right. behind well, the Russian plane, well, all, which could be. There's all but kinds of things, but the that, that to of me that, is a that to me is a quintessential example of how complicated this is. That, that excellent, and the result of that, though, with all the freezing and a little bit cold and the talking about it, the result of that was better equipment to the Syrians in terms yep. of anti aircraft on the one hand. Yep. And Israel toned down for a few months its its activities, but Israel's back to those activities now and did not cause a direct confrontation with Moscow, other than a diplomatic row. But the Syrian-Iranian so, infrastructure now has yes, better anti-aircraft capabilities. Correct. So correct. everything, as long as you stay in the Mabam strategy, the middle ground strategy where I'm trying to degrade the possibility of a full-scale right. war, ultimately, don't you end up you know, won't you theoretically end up with a worse war down the line? And and the, and the question is, do you end up in? Look, you have the you have the uh, the Chamberlain example of postponing war with Hitler. Did that help or hurt? Right. That's by the way, I don't know. Like you know, England didn't really have really an army. No, because we, we don't, don't know. We don't like you know. Nobody was ready to go to war then. The so. George W. Bush administration with Iraq. I mean, in other words, we'd like to hypothetically say that would have stopped Hitler in '38. But we don't actually really That's know the that. common sort of the common I'm wisdom is Chamberlain that. was an idiot who was played. Right. The truth is Chamberlain built up the uh, uh, English army so that yeah. it would be able to withstand. But I'm saying we, we don't really know that. It may it could have pushed off six months, Hitler, or a year. But he clearly was planning on going to war. So the question is, so it, well, my point is, no one ever really knows. And right. it's super you, complicated. You, you can't, it's you can't super know. complicated. Um, I think that uh, the there's a couple like. Uh, different things that Israel's doing in terms of that we don't normally think about just those things is Israel has a massive intelligence um, operations going in the north, like huge amounts of intelligence operations going in the north. Intelligence, um, but also cooperation, uh, getting back those yeah. Israeli bodies from uh, from the 80s. Yeah. Was body, because one body. Body from, no, I think it was more than one body, but one I, we identified. Oh, I missed that then. I think. I could be I misremembering that. that. I, thought, I thought it was just the one as well. Ah, I thought there were more that we couldn't, that we thought might be specific people, and then we didn't identify them. But look, that's not the point. The point right. is that that during that, in that weird situation where we're cooperating with the Russians, yeah, there are benefits that are accruing even as <laughs> the tension increases, and it's a strategic. It's a very naughty problem. And you yeah. you were talking to me earlier this week, Alan, about the role that civilian morale plays yeah. in all of this. So, um, yeah, there's a, an article in, the, in Ynet, uh, Ron Benishai, who's a very longtime military correspondent. He talked about the, the home front. And first of all, we all know the importance of the home front in any, in any conflict. But Israel, it's obviously particularly 
um, important because the the army is so integrated in the home front. It's a home front army for all intents and purposes. Even though people have you know regular army service and all that, it's a, it's a home front army, not just reserves. Everybody, it's a small country. Everybody is related, has like at least one re- close relations who's going to be in a conflict. Um, and he said that you know Israel is is. Uh, at a place, his claim was that Israel's at a place where the home front is really not willing to go the whole way. What it what it, what it, what it needs that there's a tremendous amount of sensitivity over possibility of kidnapped. Um, he points to the the huge over press that the kid that people have kidnapped in the past have gotten in the the Gilad Shalit uh, deal, of course, for a thousand um, terrorists, which is uh, you know crazy amounts of of trade. The, the hypersensitivity to, to deaths in war, because there's deaths in every war, which then result in also um, uh, what's Vadat Chakira, like uh, investigative committees that then go and essentially prosecute um, commanders for a command decision. He says, yes, obviously you need to have some kind of balance there, but it's so overblown in Israel. Um, on every operation, because clearly a commander in the field is responding to things, and they're gonna make mistakes. The human mistakes make, and and but there, there's such a sensitivity to that now that there's almost a um, uh, it's it's in and of itself as a deterrence to have an all-out win. He called an all-out win. He said the next war is going to end up like 2006, which you really don't have any winners on any side. Um, well, I'm a bomb strategy by definition means that we're always postponing by keeping by right. keeping the conflict at a tolerable and he says, level. Even when, it, even when it blows up to yeah. an intolerable level, that that Israel won't do what it needs to do to win. That was his. Well, prediction. it won't reach a final goal. It'll. Yeah. I mean, the final goal is to get back to that mabam as opposed to um, to defeat the enemy. In other words, the 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 goal is to get quiet as opposed to defeat the enemy. I think is what he's saying. In other words, his comparison was seventy three brought us to Egypt and then a Jordanian peace and a really solid, you said, uh, our borders which are quiet for for now many, many decades. Mm-hmm. Um, not just a few years, but decades. We, we have serious relations with those, with those neighbors. They said Israel's not willing to do what it did in 73, you know, 67 or 73, which were... Uh, he fears you know, we're erring because he's into the strategy. We're erring on, on the caution yeah. because of the, our connected society. We're erring yeah. on protecting lives too much, and therefore increasing yeah. our risk long term. Right, exactly. Without, without uh, at all, without um, being um, de- uh, negative about that right. idea of, of of life. Life is important and all that, but, but it's a strategic but consideration. War is war, and, and postponing happens, it to a bigger war. Yeah, well, dangers and We've seen that again recently. With, I mean, I know we're focusing on the north and not the south. Yeah. But that was the complaint that Lieberman, Avigdor Lieberman, for example, had in, in yeah. a previous round of fighting with Hamas that. Israel has the the uh, strike power, has the ability to crush Hamas, and they won't do it. And he said, "Right, well, that's stupid because Hamas is not Hamas is a terrorist. Hamas is not an actual state. In other words, was, you can't fight. That is absolutely asymmetrical warfare. But the, I can't defeat Nahan, that. I can't defeat the the state of Hamas because there's no state. Nahan, but the principle being that the military is not willing, for whatever reason it may be, to go the full. Well, it's not the military. It's the government." Yeah, but Remember, the government, that, government makes the decisions. No, that the so they're not follow. willing to unleash the military right. to whatever degree um, is necessary to 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 
to finish yeah, off the enemy. But that's just leaving in, yeah. in my opinion. And look, and I'm not a, I'm not qualified to comment on that article, right or wrong. Right. I'm not qualified as a military strategist. But there, you know, that's really Lieberman is simply saying that's a politician offering we can solve this problem. Okay. And I don't think it's true. I don't think you can stop terrorism by defeating the terrorist leaders because you're just going to get a new round of terrorism. If let's say Israel, okay, let's go buck nutty, okay. Let's say Israel invades Iran, performs a re- regime change, and establishes a democracy. Woohoo! Okay, peace at the northern border. In other words, there is there is at the end of the day something to talk about by by toppling those regimes and having them replaced with more reasonable regimes. You could talk about changing government right. policy in Iran and Syria. You can't talk about that in in Gaza. Right. Uh, well, it's hard to talk about what right in Gaza. What uh, you, I mean, it's a mess. It's a it's a different kind of mess. Is I think it's what a you're viperness. Saying. It's a qualitatively it's a, different type of it's a different conflict. mess. And when we know that Hezbollah is really probably the strongest army outside of Israel, in the in at least certainly in in our, in our little it is in our little neighborhood. I mean, you know, much stronger than Jordan or. By the way, arguably, um, part of what Hamas is doing is doing test firings for Hezbollah. In other right. words, how many rockets do I need to send at once to overwhelm the Iron right. Dome? Right. And so these cluster arrows may be, you know, feeling out how Iron Dome works so that when Hezbollah, right. which is much better armed than Hamas, with much more professional uh, rockets and military-grade weapons. In quantity and quality. Yep. How well can they overwhelm Iron Dome? Well, right. they have some test cases now from Hamas has conveniently tested it for them. Yeah. You know, and, and let's be honest also, there's another issue with Hamas, which is... Israel disengaged, but it's it's still under Israeli blockade. Control. In other words, there's, there's, there's control. We I mean, can Israel. we control in and out. They right. get their supplies Not from us. That, they Israel, get there, and I think was saying like we could go back in there and take over the, the, the strip. Well, we could. we could go into Lebanon and Syria, but but we yeah, don't. But, we, but Lebanon, you can't. I don't know. I don't know if we would have the manpower. But honestly speaking, I don't think we have the manpower to to take over Lebanon and Syria. I mean, we had a security point in yeah. Lebanon. But we I'm could saying, certainly invade and take over. Yeah. We can create a security point in both of. I, yeah, I can't yeah. imagine. No, I'm saying, but the Gaza Strip, we we just physically go in and reoccupy. And right, I don't think but but our current. What I mean is, currently, I understand why the people of Gaza. I don't think it's justifiable, but I understand yeah. why they blame Israel and not Hamas. Yes. because Israel is directly involved. When you're a when you're a Gaza fisherman, and the Israeli army says you cannot go out today because yes. we have to conduct a security thing. Now, I would say you should be mad at Hamas for creating this situation where Israeli security depends on you losing a day of work. But they're mad at the Israeli yeah. Navy for blocking. I understand that, even though I don't. What is Lebanon, Syria, and Iran have a problem with Israel? That's a good question. I mean, it is ideological in the end. It's ideological. Yeah, totally it's ideological. ideological in the end. And it's really uh-huh. Iran. In other it's words, Iran. I don't know. Well, his bull is, a, is his a, bull is, is an Iranian militia. Uh, yeah, it's Iran. It's the Iranian Shia. It yeah. is sense Persian, but in, with Hezbollah, with Arabs also. Right. But it's really an Iranian Shia. The local Sunni Arab leadership, to whatever degree have accommodated themselves to the reality of the state of Israel, whether they accept it philosophically as, you know, the Jews as an indigenous people with a right to a homeland, or no, they're just accommodated. They are pragmatic Middle Easterners yeah. who know, I'll, I'll deal with this today, tomorrow, we'll see what happens. But the Iranian Shia religious leadership have never made peace with the idea that the Western world has any validity at all, and certainly not peace with the idea that the Jews are a people who have the right to have free... I mean, they are ideologically... I mean, this was Muslim land. 
This is from their point of view. This is Muslim land, and, and they intend to they intend to clear Israel out, and then eventually continue their war where they clean the Sunni out, and then continue the revolution where they. The, the Shia take over the Muslim world, then right. take over the world. They are part, this is part of a long-term Iranian strategy, mm-hmm. which is very hard for Westerners to relate to and understand. Right. It's, a, it's a different type of thinking that we're used to. And so it's a very different type of enemy. They're not fighting us over anything other than mm-hmm. their Islamist, radical Islamist ideology, which well, demands that the Middle East be, if not Judenrein, at least only have Jews who are utterly powerless and, and have no self-rule or safety or national identity. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's destroying their country. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, the amount of <laughs> Economically money. Economically and, uh, and socially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we, you mentioned it before, Matt. Yeah. When we blow up millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment that could have gone to a, a real, an economy that's really having trouble. Yep. Uh, it's it's um, the Iranian people are unhappy. I, I don't believe that there's a long term future for the Iranian Revolution, which after all was in 1979. It's one of the youngest nation states in the Middle East. The you know the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's a theocracy. It's a pure theocracy. Right. It's not run by even kings. It's run by the ayatollahs and mullahs by the religious right. leadership. It's an astonishing sultan. atavism. It's just it's just yeah. It's not a sultan or a sheik. It's a yeah. It's an unbelievable throwback. Uh, and but they've so, lasted forty years. Forty years. Forty years, mm-hmm. and they and, and they are a clear and present danger, and they are explicit about that, and so. The tactics of how to contain them, because because uh, regime change has become unpal- inpa- you know unpalatable as a strategy. Right. Uh, containment becomes very difficult when they're creeping at your doorstep and digging in rocket manufacturing and launching pads right. on your northern border. Which is why Israel has seen this, and certainly Netanyahu has made his entire prime ministership for the last decade based on the Iranian threat. So if you want to understand Israeli policy, yeah. Israeli thinking, Israeli voting, and your focus is on... Israeli chutzpah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, Israeli unwillingness to listen to other people's suggestions, it's because we have an existential threat at our northern border. And so uh, you have to factor that in, whether you agree with what Israel has done or what a politician does or what public opinion is. You have to understand that while the world talks more about Gaza and the West Bank... Israel's worried about its north. Yeah. Right. And I think that also comes to play, as you said, like when people criticize Israel or say, oh, they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. Well, if you put yourself in a position where you are faced with an existential threat, your mentality changes and uh, your actions change. And to to. me, again, the fact that it's an existential threat over nothing practical, nothing. Other than well, existence—that's existence. Our existence <laughs> is the issue that we're fighting over. Our exactly. right to exist. I guess existence is the most practical. The but most yeah, I mean, when we say existential threat, yeah. the, the whole fight yeah. is just over the fact that we exist. Yes, and so exist as a as a Jewish state. Yeah, as a Jewish nation. Because by the way, what we didn't mention here, which I always think is still blows my mind, there are about twenty thousand Jews still living in Iran. Yeah, that, that, there that was a story this week about the member of parliament, the Jewish member of parliament in Iran. Yeah. Yeah, well, what's his name? Who's it? Roger Cohen at the Times, who goes to Iran and visits with these Jews who say, oh, we love living here. Iran is totally tolerant and great. And yeah. I always think like, what the hell did you want them to say? You know, <laughs> oh, I stood in Moscow during the Soviet Union and everybody loves the Soviet Union. Yeah. 
Duh. <laughs> no, but but look, I mean, Persia has a history oh. of tolerance. The Muslim revolution in Iran is relatively yeah. intolerant compared to most of Persian history. Yeah. But as long as Jews are willing to live a classically second class, dimmy Lifestyle, middle, middle ages, middle age, yeah, like Jewish, like, uh, like the structure, medieval Jewish structure. structure under Islam, yeah, they they mean it. We're, we're, as long as you're willing to live as second class citizens under Islamic law and rule, we're okay with that. Yeah. The fact that you know, and and the fact that Jews say, okay, uh, you know, I can. By leave. the way, they're protected, like they're not, you know. Yeah, and never forget that under all of this is is an intellectual Westernized population throughout Iran, which lives suppressed by this. Yeah. Islamist revolution and is waiting for the day when they can rejo rejoin the 21st century. I don't know when, but Israel's primary concern isn't helping them with their revolution. It's making sure that until it happens, we don't get bloodied in the... And squashed. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's complicated. I think it's an under-discussed element of... Uh, at least in Western circles, outside of Israel, I think it's under yeah. uh, discussed and isn't given enough attention. I would agree. Um, so we decided to bring it to the fore in this week's episode, which is now ending. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Michael. And as always, thank you, Engineer Ben. Choo choo. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, this is the part where I remind you that we are the JU Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. And it's also the part where I ask you to subscribe, to rate and review us, and to share and recommend us in any way you can. Also, we'd love your feedback so we can respond to you on or off the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye.